What do you love most about Kim? Oh, where do I begin? <laughs> it's kind of hard to do this when she's sitting in here too. Um, <laughs> I just like how positive she always is. I love racing because it's freeing. It's the one thing that I feel like I can do without needing help from anybody else. My name is Kim Crosby Hightower, and I am a USA track and field Paralympian, bronze medalist in the Rio 2016 Paralympic Games. I am somebody who has limited sight, and I haven't been able to let that get in the way of anything that I set my mind to do. Kim is a Paralympic sprinter on her way to Tokyo in 2021. Kim Crosby, based in Chico, California for the United States. Kim Crosby in second place. Kim Crosby here. In this episode, Kim shares her experience as a biracial woman with albinism and limited sight and discusses her marriage to fellow Paralympian Eric Hightower. Her running career started in her freshman high school PE class when she started to run the mile and her older brother, a senior, noticed how fast she was and persuaded her to join the track team. I gravitated towards the sprinters because I knew I wasn't going to be a long distance runner and I knew I couldn't throw anything either. So I just kind of gravitated that way, not knowing much at all about track. And I actually almost quit the track team and then my parents convinced me to stay on the team until the first track meet. I said, okay, I'll do that. Ended up going to my first track meet and winning my first 100 meter race. And I was like, oh my gosh, wow, I could do this. This is something that I might actually really like. And it's been history ever since. Kim coined the phrase, limited sight, limitless dreams, as an aspirational motto to live by but also to help motivate and empower others. Kim was born with albinism and has 2400 vision, classifying her as legally blind. I can see the lines on the track really well. So the contrast between the red track and the white lines, the white lines stick out. So I just, I've been doing this for so long. It's it's almost like muscle memory to me now. So, I mean, I still look down while I'm running my race to make sure I'm not going outside of my lane. I'm just following that line because I can only see about five meters ahead of me. In the Rio 2016 Paralympics, Kim received a bronze medal, despite going into the race not feeling super confident. The fact that I medaled was actually really shocking to me because I wasn't expecting to medal. Representing the USA, Kim Crosby. Kim Crosby picks up the bronze. I went into the race kind of putting myself down, actually, because in the, the prelims, all the girls ran really fast times, and the world record in my race was shattered in the prelims. So I wasn't very confident going in, but then when I found out that I had actually won the bronze medal, I was so happy and so proud to be a part of Team USA and win this medal for myself and for Team USA. How Kim found out she medaled blew my mind. I had no idea that I got the bronze medal because I'm visually impaired. I, I didn't see that I came in third. 
a photographer stopped me and said congratulations and I asked him I said do you know what place I got <laughs> and he said you got third place congratulations and I was like oh I did that's awesome <laughs> two other things about Kim one she's superstitious and swears that wearing mismatched socks brings her better luck than wearing socks that do match and two, she's married to Eric Hightower, a fellow Team USA track teammate who's been wheelchair racing for over a decade. Lane four for the United States, Eric Hightower. And the anchor will be Eric Hightower. Beautiful handoff to Eric Hightower, and he just rocketed past everybody. The anchor getting it done. Talk about a serious power couple. My name is Eric Hightower. I am a Paralympic wheelchair racer. I am Kim's husband. So I was born with a disability, spina bifida, um, and then she's visually impaired. So we kind of help each other. Like, so obviously, you know, with her visual impairment, she can't really see things. Like when we go to the store, you know, she can't really see things up high and I can't reach things up high. So. I would kind of direct her, help her, so she could reach the stuff up high that I need. So how did you two meet? It wasn't until we went on a trip to Canada together, and it was my first time traveling outside the country by myself, and he was the only person on that trip that I knew, So, and he was a veteran on the team. I've been on a few trips, so I kind of knew what I was doing, so kind of helped her out through that trip. And then after that, we just kind of started talking more and more. We were friends for a while until I moved to the Olympic Training Center and we started hanging out more and more. And the snowball kind of rolled along and now we're married. Being on the same team allows Kim and Eric to travel together, whereas most athletes have to leave their families behind when they compete. I think it's actually pretty cool have the same job, I guess you could say. Um, being able to travel everywhere together, experiencing these big moments like going to the Paralympic Games and stuff together, instead of, you know, having different jobs and then, you know, one person be able to experience something cool like this and then having to come home and then just kind of telling everybody else about it. It's kind of cool just to be there together and experience it together. And these two aren't just teammates for Team USA. They're teammates in everyday life. He's the one to drive around and I get his chair out of the car and I'm the one to reach for things <laughs> that are in high places, which is funny because I'm actually not that tall, but with him, I feel really tall, which makes me feel great. We are very competitive about everything. Um, it's actually really funny and it wasn't brought to our attention that we compete all the time until somebody told us. And we're like, wow, we really do compete with everything we do. <laughs> Eric and Kim's relationship is a beautiful reflection of teamwork. The way they champion and support each other, complement each other, and are able to share the highs and lows of being professional athletes. Given that Kim has albinism, she has light skin and blonde hair, and her envision impairments are related to that condition. I was curious how it had shaped her. Having albinism has every way shaped who I am. I don't think I would be where I am today if I didn't have albinism. 
I'm honestly incredibly grateful that I am who I am. I mean, growing up, I knew that I was different because I could just see just from how I look compared to how my parents and my brother look. So I understood that I was different, but because of albinism, I my skin burns really easily. And so my mom would always force me to put sunscreen on and wear a hat and I hated it so much. I think I was in middle school, probably about sixth grade. It's when it really clicked to me. It wasn't until my vision started to get worse in high school is when I was like, okay, I'm going to need some help. I need to get a cane. And then that's when everybody started to realize that I was visually impaired and which made me realize that I'm visually impaired, that I'm quote unquote, a disabled person. I have a guide dog. His name is Keystone. He is a black lab. Good boy, buddy. Okay, keep forward. I got him when I was a freshman in college and it was the best decision I have ever made. Keystone has helped me get from class to class across campus really fast and he's kept me safe and even saved my life a couple times because when I told him to cross the street and he disobeyed my command, um, which is what he's taught to do, and he saved me from getting getting ran into by a bicyclist. So I thank God every day for Keystone. The trust that I have in him is the trust that I have in my parents. And there's one more thing you probably wouldn't know about Kim right off the bat. While she has light skin and blonde hair, she identifies as biracial. Kim is half Jamaican. My dad is white and my mom is black. I feel like if I had pigment, I would be viewed as a black girl because my skin would be darker, I would have darker hair and all of that. You know, if I just had to check one box, I checked the African-American box because I, I know that's what I am, but that's not necessarily how people view me from the outside. They just see me as a white girl. I always viewed myself as being a black female, but I was never accepted in that community. And I always felt like that's where personality wise and how I carried myself and that's, that's where I felt I fit in, but I was never accepted. I've experienced being treated as a white female, but I know that there are other people who are black albinos who have been treated as, you know, a black person and gotten discriminated, but then also in other instances gotten treated as a white person as well. So I think it's it's definitely very unique. I can see the difference between just going to the grocery store with my mom and how she's treated differently than I'm treated because she's black and I'm white. And so I see it and I want to say something and sometimes I do say something and sometimes my mom just stops me and says, it's not worth it right now. You know, you gotta choose your battles and right now it's not worth it. But 
I, I definitely think that we do play a unique role and each person has their own voice and should definitely use it. Albinism occurs in all racial and ethnic groups throughout the world. It's defined by the National Organization for Albinism and Hypopigmentation as an inherited genetic condition that reduces the amount of melanin pigment formed in the skin, hair, and or eyes. In the U.S., approximately 1 in 20,000 has some type of albinism. In other parts of the world, this occurrence can be as high as 1 in 3,000. Most children with albinism are born to parents whose hair and eye color are typical for their ethnic backgrounds. It's quite diverse in itself. There are people who have total albinism, or what I call total albinism, like myself, where I'm Black, I'm from West Africa, but I have white skin, I have blonde hair, blue eyes, almost gray eyes. But you also have people who maybe no one counts them as people with albinism, but they're also Black. This is Ero Ike Ponwosa. Nigerian lawyer and albinism advocate. In 2015, she became the first independent expert on the human rights of persons with albinism at the United Nations. As she mentioned, Arrow herself has albinism and is very familiar with the obstacles often associated with the condition. Albinism has all these different aspects to it. Of course, the implications include a vision impairment in most people that also varies. Most of us with albinism can see only 20 feet away, but we can see it. It's just that we can't see all the details. Like I often tell people when I'm presenting, I can see most of you, but you all look like 20 year olds to me because I don't see any wrinkles. There is also the problem of skin cancer, trying to prevent yourself from getting skin cancer. Kim had mentioned this earlier and how she hated having to remember to apply sunscreen all the time how her mom always made an issue of applying sunscreen and taking protective measures for her skin. Because sun damage and skin cancer are such risk factors for people with albinism, Kim accepted a sponsorship from Spot My UV, a UV detection product that helps you know when it's time to reapply sunscreen. It's the burning question at this time of year, how to stay safe in the sun. Now this small sticker could help you get your sunscreen application spot on. All you do is you stick the sticker on and put your sunscreen on top. And the sticker is clear when you're protected, but it's purple uh, when you're not. And so when you see the purple color change, you know, to reapply your sunscreen, it's a simple indicator that can help keep you safe all day long. When I found this product, or really this product found me, I thought it was such a great idea because I am outside in the sun for so many hours in a day, especially when we're at a competition. And my number one thing is I forget to reapply my sunscreen. I'm so busy focusing on what I'm there to be doing whether it's training or getting ready for multiple races in one day. So the spot, my UV, is a reminder that when it's purple, it's time to reapply sunscreen. So I start my day with putting on the spot and putting on sunscreen. And I just know even after I take a shower, it still stays on and I can still go out throughout the day knowing that, okay, either I'm protected or it's time for me to reapply my sunscreen. And honestly, I have not gotten a sunburn since I started using Spot My UV. 
In addition to the risk of skin cancer, albinism and vision impairments are often connected. Arrow explains why. Albinism leads to low vision because apparently pigment is a very key chemical in the development of the eyes. The human body is an amazing thing, and I think we often take that for granted. But when our eyes are being formed, pigment helps the nerves, the optical nerves, to cross and to connect in the right way. When there is not enough pigment, the crisscrossing becomes very complicated, and essentially the nerves form in a character that is not normal, if I can use that word. And so what happens is we get like this, our, our nerves are misrouted is the word scientists will say and when your nerves your optical nerves are misrouted not only does it impact the vision that you're able to uh, your brain is able to explain to you to see it's very hard to cure because how many scientists want to go in there and touch the nerves to piggyback on kim's experience as a biracial woman with albinism arrow also brought up racial issues given her experience as a black woman with albinism from west africa I asked for her thoughts on how albinism and race specifically relate. So racial discrimination is discrimination based on color, on heritage, ancestry, ethnicity, and all the things don't have to be found in the same case for, to, for you to find racial discrimination. Our coloring is hated for its look, but also there's a lot of myth around the coloring that can lead to dangers for people with albinism. So racial discrimination is something that I'm hoping that we can bring this issue in because at the same time, we are witnesses to racism. I've been in stores with my black sister, my black mother, and they get treated a certain way. And then I get treated differently because on appearance, before they see my features close up, I look white. And so I've seen racism. So we could very well be the witnesses of racism, but nobody's listening to us because we're minority and these are albino, they would say, and you know, we don't have anything to offer. But I'm like, this is why we need to talk about these things because we could actually help people out in proving that there is racism. We're getting it from our people, but we also see our people get it from others. That's why in the end, this is not a one side against the other issue. It's just an evil thing that every human person does when they have the power to do it. But this is not a very popular way of thinking. But nonetheless, I, I, still, I still stand for this uh, racial discrimination that we face and trying to fight it. Leaders like Arrow and Kim are working every day to help fight the stereotypes associated with albinism and to provide lasting change. Arrow gives us some suggestions for how we can all help support this important work. I think people, the biggest thing they can do is help us with awareness. So on International Albinism Awareness Day on June 13, they can help us post facts. There's a lot of facts online from the UN's website, but specifically if they want to help people really suffering in countries that are hot and developing, then they need to get involved by helping NGOs working on the issue to get sunscreen to be people are dying from skin cancer or they're dying from attacks, like in countries where people with albinism are being attacked physically because of their coloring and all. So there's a lot of organizations working on this that they can Google and support. With all that said, be on the lookout for Kim and her husband, Eric, in the 2021 Tokyo Paralympics. And in closing, Kim leaves us with her final words of encouragement. Don't take anything personally, whether somebody is telling you their feelings, their opinion about you or somebody else. Don't take it personally. Somebody could be lashing out in some way. And if you take it personally, that can bring you down and you don't obviously don't want to be down. So I try not to take anything personally and stay as positive as I can be and surround myself with as many positive people as I can. 
Thanks for joining us on Flame Bears, the woman athletes carrying Tokyo's torch. Be sure to tune into the next episode where we speak with Zara Namati of the Iranian Olympic and Paralympic teams. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to subscribe on your listening platform so you don't miss an episode. And while you're at it, please leave us a review. We'd greatly appreciate it. Catch you on our next episode of Flame Bears. <laughs>